This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, a whole bunch of sport happened, but holy shit, Chiefs and Bills. Oh my God. <laughs> what a ridiculous game of football. Ah, can't get enough of it, honestly. Oh, the whole division a weekend. But we also have tennis, we've got cricket, we've got basketball. A lot to get through as always. Let's go. It's 9.20 on Tuesday, the 25th of January, 2022. That's PM. It is PM, yes. And we'll try not to go past midnight this week. No guarantees. <laughs> that was last week, like, oh, we won't go too hard on the basketball. Sure enough, went a whole 10 minutes longer than the previous basketball. Anyway, and I must apologize as well. We got last week's episode uploaded a little later than usual. I had a not a great reaction to my COVID booster. Don't tell Andrew Bogut. And I unfortunately had a shit week at home with the kids, but that's so, okay. So, you know, we, yeah, we do what we can. But as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention? What'd you miss? Well, I've got a trio of soccer moments this week. But before I get to that, one other thing that involves said shit kids, or one of them in particular. <laughs> okay. So last night, funnily <laughs> enough, I've put the little one down to bed about eight o'clock, which is the usual time. And she usually piss farts around for about half an hour. Oh, I want to get up and get another drink. And I want to do this, that, and the other. Eventually, she starts telling us that she needs to go to the toilet. We're like, all right, well, you know, it's obviously not something for in the nappy. So we'll bring her out and put her on the couch. And she says to me, she's like, Daddy, I want the TV. I'm like, all right, what do you want to watch? And she says, Cricket. I'm thinking, now I know there's a character on one of their shows called Cricket. But so I'm is this the younger one? This is the younger okay, one. Okay, so not as developed with the speech as the yeah. older one. Yeah, wow. So there's so there's this show called Butterbeans Cafe, and one of the characters, oh, is, okay. her name is Cricket. And, right. I, and I thought that's what she meant. But I thought, I'm going to call her Bluff here. So I get on and I put on highlights of the Big Bash. And she didn't complain. Yes. She's, she's like sitting there nodding along going, all right, yeah, yeah. And they start showing highlights and balls start getting hit everywhere. And I'm sort of saying, hey, Evelyn, is that a four or a six? And she called five in a row correctly. Did you tell her the hand signals? She'd be loving the didn't, hand signals. Didn't do the hand signals. Yeah, actually. well, you bring that in next. But she was, She'll be loving it. She then. was getting, it's like, there would be a massive hit. And I'm like, what's that, Evelyn? Six. And it would go over the boundary. And I'm like, that's right. <laughs> Got five in a row. Very nice. So she is mine after Very all. Very nice. Very good. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you often sit in nappies when you watch the cricket. Yeah. <laughs> Told you that in confidence. <laughs> So as I said, a trio of really interesting soccer moments this week, though, as the real things that caught my attention besides my daughter being awesome now. Yes. Now. Yeah. <laughs> it only took a few years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so firstly, crazy game in the EPL last Thursday. Leicester City throwing away their match against Tottenham Hotspur. Oh. Leicester led 2-1 in the 95th minute of this match with five minutes of added time and somehow allowed substitute Stephen Bergwijn to score in the 95th and 97th minute to win the game. I saw a guy on Twitter, at WellBeast, who screenshotted the game with 94 minutes, 48 gone, City up 2-1, saying, how will I explain to my kids Leicester lost this oh, game? Oh, it's nuts. Absolutely it nuts. makes no sense. No, no. They were well-taken goals, obviously, but... Whoa. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's like those two quick goals in the ice hockey I talked about last week. Yeah, well... you got to play that clock. You do? It's not over till it's, it's over. It's not over. As we know with the NFL playoffs, too. We'll get there. Yeah, we will. Now, the second one, I feel bad bringing this up because of how similar it is to a bloody hell I did not too long ago, but the Matildas beat Indonesia 18-0 over the weekend. Ah, yes, I saw that. Now, it's definitely a giant versus a minnow. Australia ranked 11th in the world rankings, Indonesia 94th, below the likes of Hong Kong and Tonga. 
by the way, massive thoughts and prayers to the people of Tonga right now. Oh, yeah. It's so gut-wrenching to see what's happening yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. But Sam Kerr became the greatest ever goal scorer in Australian internationals, passing Timmy Cahill with 54 goals. And she'll add plenty more to that tally, you can almost guarantee. Be a few more backflips coming up. Yeah, yeah. And the third one, one of the most heartbreaking moments for a sportsman from a DFB Pokal match, which is basically Germany's FA Cup, after FC Colm were knocked out by Hamburg in a penalty shootout. Now, it got to 5-4 in the shootout, and Florian Keynes stepped up for Colm. He slotted it past the keeper, and it appeared to be 5-all and moving on to sudden death. Not so. On closer inspection from the VAR, it was deemed that Kynes had clipped the ball with his left foot as he planted it before blasting the ball home with his right. Uh, so the double contact basically means yeah. that he's already, he's already played the ball. Yeah, it's like when you're playing pool and you do that little hit. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't. I'm pretty awesome at pool. Yeah, well, you know. I'm terrible. <laughs> but, uh, God, imagine being bundled out of a national competition on something like that. Yeah, technicality. But, That's, hey. I mean, the rules are rules. Yeah, but, yeah. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. How about yourself, mate? Well, we have a new record in the Division One College Women's Basketball. Ioka Lee, 61 points for Kansas State against Oklahoma. Nearly as many as Oklahoma, the team. She's not good to be an Oklahoma fan right now, is <laughs> in the basketball? Yeah, well, it depends what good to find good. I saw your interaction with yeah. uh, the Pocket Podcast on Twitter tonight. <laughs> good is a relative... The, the, uh, yeah, the, the tank is strong in OKC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But my other one, and I'm being quick this week again, because I know we have a lot to get through, Dylan Alcott, Australian of the Year. So congratulations yeah, right. to him. Yeah. Oh. We'll get to the tennis, I say shortly, it'll probably be a little, a little while, but yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully he can knock off another Grand Slam before he retires. Yes, hopefully he can put a cherry on top of that Australian of the Year. But either way, he is a wonderful sports figure, a wonderful media figure, and a, wonder, a very man. deserving, yes, very deserving person. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I missed the Buccaneers and Rams game on Monday, which I'm absolutely gutted about. It would have been so nice to see Tom Brady get rolled in the playoffs for <laughs> once. And I did miss a couple of the BBL finals, sadly, but uh, I did get to see the highlights, as I just mentioned. So a little bit okay, but still a bit frustrated. How about yourself, mate? Pretty much carbon copy. I, I planned to watch the Rams and Buccaneers game last night after the quiz. I started watching, but I fell asleep on the couch. I did my best to get through it, but I didn't get through it, so... I got up a little bit earlier to watch the Bills Chiefs games before work. So, yeah, uh, I've got that one recorded, though. I will still watch and I will still enjoy it. I caught up on my other NFL from the week prior. So I'm nearly up to date with the entire playoffs. Just one more game to watch. It yeah. gets easier the further they get in. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, there's, there's only a few more games left now. There's only three more games left now. And you'll have the Pro Bowl week to catch up as well. Oh, I don't watch Pro. You know, that's me. what I'm saying. You've All-star to, games. And, yeah, oh, the bye week. Yeah, why the yeah. fuck would you watch exactly, the Pro Bowl? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's take one snap and then sit out the rest of the game. Yeah. Like, but I also missed the uh, Strikers and Thunder. I saw the other two. I missed the Strikers oh, and good. Thunder match, though, unfortunately. Yeah. So, Nathan, an absolutely crazy weekend of NFL. Some Ma- have said it's the best I week. was just about to say, many yeah. are saying the best divisional round of playoffs ever. Well, it certainly was the closest. Yes. The, the combined scores of all four were as tight as a week has ever been. And... It has to be said, there is a very common theme in three of these games, which we will discuss very quickly. But uh, Yes, well, and there's a common theme in all four too, because sudden death wins, basically. Yes, so, point, yeah, actually. three of the four being kicks. Oh, it was magnificent. Every game was just brilliant to watch. Some more defensive than others. Each had their own pros and cons, but they were all great games. Some snowier than others as yes, well. Yes, yes. And I, as I admitted at the top, I haven't seen all of the Rams and Bucks yet. 
But uh, yeah, wow. saving, saving the I would say saving, yeah. saving, the, yeah, I'd say saving the best for last, but it's yeah. not the best. It's the best as far as yeah. we'll be Schadenfreude. Saving, yeah, yeah, we'll be saving the best for last. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have to start off the Cincinnati Bengals 19 defeat the Tennessee Titans 16 on a game winning field goal from Evan McPherson. And I'll tell you what, and the Americans say McPherson, and I don't know how they get fear out of P-H-E-R, but anyway. It's an irrational fear. Um, (laughs) 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 Uh, I'll tell you what, he was just about player of the game. Four field goals and one extra point. And I'll I'll tell you what, a lot of them were long field goals too. Like, we're not just talking chip shots here. Like, he's got a good leg. Well, 54 is a long, that's... Not exactly short, is it? No, no. And and I'm glad that he did kick them because in the playoffs, and there seems to be this new thing where a lot of people want to go for it on fourth down and it's not always a wise decision. And indeed, it bit Tennessee. If Tennessee hadn't gone for it on a couple of fourth downs, they might have won this game. So in spite of a pretty poor performance from Ryan Tannehill throwing three interceptions, one being the first play of the game, Mm. one being the first play of the second half, and one in the late third quarter when they could have pegged it back to be a pretty close game, he threw this horrible screen pass. Well, oh, were, my God. Pretty much on the edge of the red zone. In the red zone. They were in the red well, zone. The yeah, they are on the, about that, on the 10 from memory. Yeah. 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 So, oh, yeah. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. And home team loss. Oh, Tennessee fans will be thinking this one got away. They really will. I can't remember. Did we pick the Bengals last week? I, I did pick Tennessee, but I said I wouldn't be at all surprised if Cincy won. And I did have a little feeling that they might get over the line, but I wasn't prepared to, to put my balls on the line. I feel so. like I picked the Bengals, but I'm not sure if I did now. I can't remember, to be honest. Uh, yeah, you yeah. should have looked at that before we started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, huge. Cincinnati, they've now first ever playoff road win in their history. Wow. So last week, got, got the monkey off their back. First playoff win in 31 years. This week first playoff win in franchise history one more win and they're in the, into the super bowl and how's this okay john madden didn't get the raiders over the line last week but the first super bowl john madden ever called was cincinnati versus san francisco it could happen Ooh, wow i don't think it will but it could so yeah i mean, I mean both teams are there they've, they've got just as good a chance as the others i mean Cincinnati have proved they can win on the road. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yep. Tennessee, no, anything can happen. Obviously, Tennessee is a very, very different sort of kettle of fish to the Chiefs, who we'll get to. Spoiler, yes. spoiler alert, by Yes, what. we will. We but, will. Uh, but yeah, well, you never know. Yeah. Just never yeah, know. Oh, Burrow is looking magnificent. And, oh, just, yeah, it was a very entertaining game. I feel for Tennessee fans. Tannehill picked a really bad time to shit the bed, basically. And... Yet they still only lost by three. So, and yeah. You, look, you have to give credit to the Bengals' defense. I mean, okay, he's thrown these three interceptions, but guess what? Someone has to intercept them. Oh, of course. You know, the, the, and the Bengals are only a kind of a middling D statistically, but they did play quite well. Yeah. How's this, though? The Tennessee D, they sacked Burrow nine times. Like, can you imagine being sacked nine times and winning a playoff game on the road? It's incredible. So Jeffrey Simmons had three sacks. A couple of blokes had one and a half. It was a very impressive effort from the edge and the and the centre of the line of scrimmage there. But, yeah, Cincinnati got over the line and now they'll be going to KC. And we'll talk about that soon. So in the second game, the San Francisco 49ers 13 defeat the Green Bay Packers 10 at Lambeau Field, courtesy of a game-winning field goal from Robbie Gould. This is a really weird one because I, I think it was the first drive of the game or it was very early in the game. 
Green Bay marched down the field, scored a touchdown pretty easily, it's got to be said. Their one and only touchdown of the game. And at that point, you're thinking, geez, it's on here. This could be like 31 to 10 or something. Or 13 to 10. Yeah. And instead it was 13 to 10. Like it, it, they just, and, and not in their favor. It was incredible. They just, they, they had one good drive, basically. And that was on the one of the first drives of the entire game. Aaron Rodgers didn't play great, but really, what let them down was the special teams, or perhaps I should say unspecial teams. They were terrible. They had a field goal blocked at the end of the first half, which would have put them up three and possibly would have helped them win the game. They had times when they only had 10 men on the field. I saw that. That's criminal. And it is. It really is. And they had a blocked punt return for a touchdown. The only touchdown that the San Francisco 49ers scored and basically was the, the game-winning points in a sense. I mean, okay, Gould had to, to kick that field goal to win it they officially. Only, they only had 10 on the field for that one as yeah, well. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yep, Green Bay's special teams have been ranked absolute bottom of the league the whole season, and it ruined their season. Both number one seeds going down is quite remarkable, quite remarkable. And people assume Green Bay have a really good home field advantage, but it's not actually as good as you think when you go back and look. They've lost a lot of games at home they should have won. So, yeah, huge, huge. I do worry about San Francisco next week. They have a lot of injuries, which is a real shame. But including Debo Samuel, who did some really good things, he is such an exciting player, possibly the most exciting player in the whole league, which is saying a lot because we're going to talk about a few other exciting players mm-hmm. very shortly. So I really hope that they'll they'll be okay for next weekend and, and can have a good competitive game against the Rams. Yeah. Speaking of the La Rams from Los Angeles, 30 defeated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 27. Shock horror, game-winning field goal by Matt Gay. Yeah, and they made it harder than they needed to. And again, unfortunately, I fell asleep during the second half, so I'm going to have to go back and watch it. But they started superbly well. I think they were up by 25 or definitely 20-something. And the Bucks pegged it back, pegged it back, maybe looked like it was another one of those this miracle the, Brady the, comebacks. This was the Atlanta Falcons yeah. Super Bowl yep. all over again. And you just, I must admit, like I didn't watch the whole thing, but having watched the extended highlights, the whole way I'm looking at it, it's like 27-3. And all of a sudden it's like one touchdown, two touchdowns. Yep. You're thinking, what the fuck is going to do it again? Like he's at, like, I know the result and I still feel like he's going to win it. It's it's, it's funny how you, when you watch, yeah, when you watch sport knowing a result, you, you still, still yeah, You think yeah. like, how are we going to get from this point to the point where the Rams actually, it's, yeah, it's nuts. And Cam Akers had two fumbles. Came back from injury last week, obviously, and was involved in that Buddha Baker. By the way, Buddha Baker's okay. Yep. That was announced pretty much not long after we recorded, actually. Always the case. <laughs> I saw on Twitter after we recorded. But yeah, so so really bad. And and that's that's their worry for the Rams is their running game, I think. Because Stafford, for all everyone's worries about him, he's looked pretty good in the first two weeks oh, of the playoffs. Fantastic. I mean, look at his, his quarterback rating, 67.7. That's elite. Yep, 366 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Tom Brady's QBR, 14. Wah, wah. Yeah, he threw a pick. He attempted 54 passes. Yeah, I mean, so. I mean getting... But when you're coming back, when you're down, you're going to throw it a lot. Oh, so They actually only ran the ball 14 times, the, the Bucks. So, yes, one of my Super Bowl picks from the start of the season is still alive, that being the LA Rams. My other pick, sadly, is not. Now, after three absolute classics, you just wondered, could the NFL do it and make it a quartet? And holy shit. Oh, they saved the best for last. And we knew they were the two best... Well, 
We assumed it might be the best contest, given the Allen versus Mahomes, well, the rematch from last season. There's a lot of storylines going on. You said last week, this is the game you're looking forward to the most. Well, and you could make a strong case that maybe these are the two best teams oh, absolutely. still standing. Absolutely they were. Yeah. So it's a shame that one of them is now gone. And that team is the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, the Kansas City Chiefs, 42, defeat the Buffalo Bills, the only team to play out of New York, 36 <laughs> in overtime, thanks to a game-winning touchdown from Travis Kelsey. Holy crap. Holy crap, indeed. By the way, I accidentally said the state of New York City last week. So oh, apologies for oh that. Dear. But uh, So many stats for this one. It was 26-21 with nine minutes left, and it ended up 42-36. The teams combined for 25 points in the last minute 45. I actually rewatched the last two minutes in overtime today. Holy shit. Crazy I, stuff. I definitely didn't watch this live. <laughs> I can't see you winking, Stu. <laughs> I was very creative. I used lunch breaks and yeah, yeah. <laughs> like getting up early and yeah. The the number of times that I wanted to message you and be like, dude, take your like, like take your break now. They're calling sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just do something. I was, uh, I was like. Tell me when you finished watching. I <laughs> want to hear your thoughts. I'm sitting there going, it's the fucking best game ever. Oh, it was amazing. Incredible. And it was just, it was one of those games where the seesawing in that last quarter, I mean, we've seen games that have seesawed, but it was the, the speed and the quickness. As you said, you know, the amount of points that were scored in the last two minutes, it was touchdown Chiefs, they take the lead. Touchdown Bills, they take the lead. Touchdown Chiefs, they take the lead. And the amount of time that was being used up was just so minimal. These- but, and also Josh Allen converted a fourth and 13 at one point. He did. The way that he converted um, that, though, he evaded about four or five tacklers, a couple of little... And threw it to Gabriel Davis, who had four touchdowns. Now, no one has ever caught four touchdowns in the history of the NFL playoffs. Not Jerry Rice, not Michael Irvin, not Rob Gronkowski, or even Randy Moss when he played for the Patriots, for example. No one. And he had two of them in the last two minutes oh, of the game. Incredible. And they had a really key two-point conversion as well to Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs was a bit quiet. And I was actually surprised that he... I was thinking they might have sent him down for a punt return just to kind of get his hands on the ball. But yeah. That was oh. a heck of a catch, though. That was behind him. Oh, yeah, it was huge. And it was traveling. Oh, absolutely. I, when, when Alan let go of that, I thought. Oh, he's head, got a rocket for an hour. I, I thought in my head, I'm like, that's way over the top. Yeah. Like, oh, he, like, <laughs> it was going to go 20 feet over the top. No, that was huge. That was huge because that was to, to make it a field goal yes. margin. Yeah. Yeah, which then obviously. Well, that's it. Being up two doesn't help you unless they score a safety. Yeah, well, that wasn't it's not gonna that happen. wasn't going to happen. <laughs> no. Yeah. And look, the kickoff after that is garnering a lot of attention. Should they have squibbed it rather than kicked it into the end zone? Now, define squib because for people like me who didn't know what that was before. So squib is basically, it's a bit like a grubber. So you're trying to kind of kick it along the ground and it'll bounce a little bit weirdly along the ground. Ideally, as close to the end zone as possible. Chaos ball, basically. Bit of a chaos ball and take a few seconds off the clock. And they had 13, which gave them enough for two plays, which was enough to get him in field goal range. And... That was the difference in the end because, of course, they got the ball in overtime and never looked back. Well, the, the crazy thing is that the commentators were sitting there saying, you know, he's an, he's an outside chance here. He's got two plays to make what was about 37 yards they needed yeah. to get into field goal range. Yeah, about a third of the field, yeah. And that was really pushing it because their kicker had missed a couple. He had a shocker, yeah. He'd missed a point missed after, after, let alone a field missed goal. Missed a field goal. And another field goal that just grazed the, the inside of the post as yeah. well. So. And they said he has a long leg on him, but at the same time... The butker. The butker, yeah. He <laughs> kicked it at the right time. It was it was clutch. Clutch. But 
it all comes down to two you, you would say arguably pretty poor reads by the, the defense of the Bills. There was an opportunity on both of those to really collapse the middle of the field, and that was what Mahomes used, basically. Yeah, they sent four, and I think they had the, the backs a bit too far back. They needed one guy, I think, a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage, and it, it, did, it did hurt them. It but, really did. Look, but some really interesting decisions. Like I reckon they let Tyreek Hill run that one in to give themselves enough time before that play. How that was makes a little sense. wave that he gave as he yeah. was running through? <laughs> no, but I honestly, I think the Bills have gone, well, he's going in. Why would we tackle him at the one? Yeah. And then, you know, so so give the wave all you like, Tyreek. He played superbly. He did. Kelsey played superbly. And it's got to be said, a lot of this was without Tyrion Matthew, who was missing for a lot of the game, one of the, the key backs for the, the Chiefs. And and it did allow Allen to, to really pick apart that secondary. It is interesting that you bring up the whole Tyreek Hill experience. And as somebody who, again, doesn't watch a whole heap of football, to see the way that he was able to, I guess, work his way through a lot of those packs using spin moves. Oh, he's so quick. Change of directions. So quick. It's almost like he can calculate where the gaps are going to be before they turn up. And obviously, you know, that comes down to the offensive lineman. They've got to create the holes by blocking properly and all yep. that sort of stuff. But the way that he, yeah, he, trusts his his offensive lineman, pushed the guys into the right spots. There was one play I can remember where he's broken about three tackles, just about to get tackled by another guy, full 360-degree spin out to the to the right and basically took off. And it's like once he's... Oh, when his jets are on, well, he's, yeah, you can't yeah, catch he's very hard. You've just got to hope he trips over and falls. Yeah. Like. And, he, and he did have a big punt return, which is why they didn't squib it, I think, because they were worried about him. Now, it was actually Pringle in the backfield, I'm pretty sure. I don't think... I'm almost certain it was Pringle. So they could have kicked it to him, I think. But yeah, wow. And then, of course, the overtime rules, and we'll get there in a sec. The coin flip. Chiefs win it. March down the field. Touchdown, Travis Kelsey, who also played absolutely out of his mind. Game over. Yep. Walk off. So so just quickly before we get into the the stupid overtime rule, I just want to quickly hit you with a stat about Pat Mahomes at Arrowhead in the playoffs. He's now 7-1 and one at Arrowhead in the postseason, 23 touchdowns to one interception at nearly 319 yards a game. When it's they'll now be hosting their fourth consecutive AFC championship, yeah, which is never very been, rare. It's never been done. Well, there you go. Never. I heard them say they'd never done it before. Yeah, Mahomes 33 of 44 for three touchdowns, 378 yards. Allen 27 of 37, four touchdowns, 329 yards. He also had 68 yards on the ground. And look, look at the QBRs, 90.3 and 98. Is that a 96? 96. That's. I mean, that's just stupid. First playoff game where opposing quarterbacks each threw for 300 passing yards, three passing touchdowns each or more, and zero interceptions. First playoff game where opposing teams completed 70% of their passes at least on 35 attempts, and both quarterbacks led their teams in rushing, the second such playoff game ever since 1950. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? A couple of others, Chewy. There have only been two postseasons in NFL history where a quarterback has thrown for at least 325 yards, threw for three touchdowns, and had no interceptions while also rushing for 60 yards. Josh Allen versus the Chiefs, January 23, 2022. Patrick Mahomes versus the Bills, January 23, 2022. <laughs> <laughs> so by that reasoning, there's only one game ever where someone's done that with four touchdowns. Yes, which is Josh Allen in this game. And it's such a shame. Like, the record for touchdowns in a playoff series is 11. He had nine in two games. Mm. Nine touchdowns, zero interceptions, a quarterback rating of 149, 83 points produced. 
in two playoff games and he goes home a loser. Yep. How's this? This is the rivalry. Incredible. Kansas City have scored 100 points. Buffalo, 98. Only two points have separated them across three games, including a playoff game that basically could pretty much decide the Super Bowl winner. Like, really, the winner of this game had the inside track, especially after Tennessee and Green Bay had lost. Oh, absolutely. Now, it will be hosted at the LA Rams Stadium. So if the Rams get there, it'll be like a home game. So we would have gone from no team ever playing at home in a Super Bowl to potentially twice in two years. yeah. Yeah. But they've still got to get over San Francisco next week. So that that will be very interesting indeed. Right. So let's talk about this bullshit rule. Yes. Well, let's indeed. And I actually took a photo of the rules. So 15-minute period until winner is decided. Okay, that's fair enough. Touchdown or safety on first possession wins the game. I didn't realize the safety part of it. If score is tied after each team's first possession, next score wins the game. Three timeouts per team per two periods. That's fair enough. No coaches challenges or reviews initiated by the replay official. Okay, that's fine. We don't have a problem with that. What we do have a problem with is touchdown or safety on first possession winning the game and next score wins. I don't like it. Yeah, for me, it's it's always been that lack of that right of reply. And, and it yep. used to be worse. It used to be a field goal would win it. Yes, that's so right. Until quite recently. They've at least fixed that part of it. But yeah, for me... And the irony is Kansas City were on the wrong side of this against the Patriots in 2018. And they actually petitioned the league and said, look, we got to change these rules. And they didn't get any traction. And so now they've been the beneficiary of it on the other side. Really interesting to see the comments on Twitter. A lot of people are like, oh, you must be a Bills fan. It's like, no... Neutral fans don't like it either. It's You should at least get a right of reply. Well, especially in a game like this, yeah. where you've just had a shootout over the last... To not give Allen the right of reply, to be able to go back... As I said, 25 points in less than two minutes, and that's before the game-winning touchdown. Yeah. So 32 across. Ah, oh, it's sad. Because we're, everyone's talking about a coin toss rather than one of the greatest playoff games in NFL history. Yeah. it's It's not how it should be. So you've got a list of four key options. So I read an article by Bill Barnwell today in my lunch break, and he's come up with a few different options for overtime, how it could be different. He's a great read, by the way. So those that are interested should definitely check him out. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to go through one by one One or I'll read them all and then we'll one by by one. Okay. So the first one's quite interesting. Deciding the first possession of overtime before the end of regulation. So the NFL could choose to forego the overtime toss altogether and assign the opening possession of overtime to the team that wins the pregame coin toss or to the home team, for example, or there could be other ways, I guess. By doing so, both teams will know who possesses the ball first in overtime before the game begins, and that could inform some of their late game decisions, end quote. Okay. I don't mind the idea. I mean, look, I know that it was the home team that won it, but giving it to the home team makes sense. They've got the home field advantage, so that could potentially be part of it. And I like the idea in terms of, as you say, like that's going to have an impact on what they do at the end of the game. Yes, indeed, yes. So you might try to go for a touchdown rather than a field goal. You might go for two two, instead of go, yep. Absolutely. So I can certainly see some advantage to that. That's the best, I think, of the four that he suggested, but I still still don't like the idea that you don't get a right of reply. Anyway, okay. So playing out the full 15-minute overtime, So he said there's no way that the league would play a full, basically, fifth quarter in the regular season out of player safety concerns. That's completely fair enough. But in the playoffs, it would give teams a chance to decide games in the closest comparable way to regulation football. I really like this. The only problem is, what if it's still tied at the end of overtime? Penalty shootout. 
<laughs> well, you just play another one alternatively. <laughs> but I don't know why it has to be 15 minutes. It could be five minutes or eight minutes, for example. I mean, 15 minutes is enough to get a winner most times, you would think. You would hope so. And, and maybe yeah. at the end of it, you say, all right, if it's tied at the end of 15, then we go to the coin toss, like what's happened. Sudden death. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. If, if they've both had a full overtime period, then sudden death, I'm okay with that. Or they play a game of darts. Closest to the bull, <laughs> closest to the bullseye wins. Play to eight points. So this is what Bill says. I like some combination of the 15-minute overtime and the idea of playing to a number. So this is a bit like the uh, Elam ending. Yeah. I don't love Elam endings, but... You don't like them either. No, well, no, I don't. Well, this is kind of similar to an idea that I'd been saying where if a team like Kansas City scores a touchdown and converts it, you then basically would say, right, Buffalo gets a right of reply, but they have to go for two. Yeah, that's another option. Yeah, yeah. And and you could you could say, okay, we've scored a touchdown, but we're just going to do the kick and get the seven points. Or if they miss the kick, they're on six points, so they only need a safety or a field goal to win to get them to eight, if eight's the magic number. Yeah. I don't, I don't hate it. It's 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 not bad. It's certainly better than the, the current state of affairs. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. But this is an overtime rule, whereas an Elam ending is a regulation rule, and yes. that's why I, I really don't like it for regulation. Now, the other one he's mentioned, and I will mention one more after this, that I heard on the Bill Simmons podcast, which is interesting as well. So he said the spot and choose. The Ravens pitched this overtime rule in March, and it could be the future of overtime. In this scenario, the overtime kickoff is eliminated and one team gets to choose the yard line from which overtime will begin. The other team then gets to decide whether it will begin overtime on offense or defense. So if, so if they say, we'll start it right on this Yeah, line, it's a bit of cat and mouse. Yeah, we'll start at the 50. So it's basically like Sean Locke's carrot in a box. It's a big game of double bluff. Yes, may he rest in peace. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it was being a rest in peace meatloaf as well. Mm. A lot of Aussies just think of that AFL grand yeah, final. It's say, not all bad for meatloaf, but that know, was bad. Who's yeah. going to do the grand final this year? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Then finally, the other one that was suggested, and apparently this has been doing the rounds for decades, is if a team scores a touchdown, let's say they did it in nine plays, the other team has to do it in eight, eight plays, okay, for example. Yeah, yeah. So I guess in that scenario, if they do it in less, they win. If they do it in the same amount, the game keeps going. And if they do it in more, then they lose. I could just go with to, a tied score. Just which go you know. to a count back on boundaries. <laughs> oh dear. Oh yes. dear, indeed. Yes. Yes. So I guess we better pick. So in the NFC, we've got the Rams hosting the 49ers. Who you got? Look, I'll take the Rams. As I said, I picked them at the start of the season. I'll I'll take them. In a fairly close game, I'll say 24-17. I got 20 to 17. I toyed, right. I toyed with 2-0. <laughs> but it seemed very unlikely. No, the weather will be very good in LA. That so you don't be, need to worry about a snow game. That like would be Greece. a scoring army yeah. for sure. <laughs> 2 0. I don't know. Maybe not back in the olden days. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually. Yeah. Just, yeah. just a safety. <laughs> I don't think so. You never know. And in the AFC. Probably the more tantalising of the two, I reckon. Kansas City hosting the Bengals. I don't know if I agree with that because the Rams and 49ers is a divisional matchup. So they play each other a lot. So there's a pretty strong rivalry there. I do worry about the 49ers injuries a little bit. I worry about Jimmy Garoppolo too. He looks like a walking interception. I tell you what, 
Like I heard Bill Simmons talking about it the other week and I thought, oh, you're laying it on a bit thick. I reckon it's because he used to play for the Pats. And But then I, like on this game on the weekend, they kind of won in spite of him. It's because the Green Bay special teams were so shit. Look, oh, I really want to pick Cincinnati. They could win. I have to be safe. I'll, I'll pick the Chiefs 35 to 30. You can take your safety. Bengals 29-23. I hope you're right. I hope I'm right too, so I can rub it in your face. A <laughs> couple of quick notes. Dak Prescott was fined the standard 25000 for condoning fans throwing items at the officials. Where- Which he did multiple times, and Josh Allen was very classy about their loss. So that's how to take a loss, Dak, because it wasn't even Josh's fault, whereas for you it was. Because I have gone back and watched that game, and... Dallas really do have no one to blame but themselves. Yeah, Dick Prescott. It's really interesting. Some teams blew really golden opportunities. The Titans, the Cowboys, like Tony Romo was saying, the Cowboys won't have a better opportunity than this for a while. And even the Bills, Josh Allen's contract gets really expensive after next season. Mm. So then you have cap problems. And they have some assistant coaches that might not be there next season as well because they, they'll be head coach opportunities. So... Oh, it hurts. It hurts. My friend who's a Bills fan, I sent him the footage of Tim Duncan hitting that shot against the Lakers before oh, Derek Fisher's 0.4. The crazy fadeaway. Because that was that was like the best kind of comparison I could think of, yeah, you know, of yeah. the like the ecstasy and agony so close to one another. Like I watched that game live. I nearly I nearly put a hole through my parents' roof when Duncan hit that shot. So did I. Because I jumped so high. I, scared, I nearly gave my mum a heart attack. And then I wanted to put a hole through the wall after Derek Fisher's shot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it still doesn't seem real 20-odd years later. Uh, I'm still not convinced you can get a shot off that quick. Wow. But anyway, it was a home game for the Spurs, so their timekeepers blew it. Yep. And the other thing, the tuck rule. Yet another Tom Brady special, the tuck rule. This actually looks pretty good, though. It looks at the famous tuck rule incident from the Raiders and Patriots game in 2002. And- he definitely fumbled, and it's nice to actually see a Tom Brady thing where he isn't He's the not, second coming of Christ. But he's also not pretending to be. I think that's one of the... He knows it was a fumble. Yeah, right. And, yeah. and I don't think he plays it off as anything else. Right, so, right. I haven't watched it. So it's actually... Well, certainly from what I saw in the preview, it okay, looks like okay. the sort of thing that you would actually enjoy. Yeah, yep. Or maybe you would hate it because he's actually not coming across as smug and cheaty. Funnily enough, it was the season after the Super Bowl we talked about in this week's This Week in Sport. Mm, and several before Deflategate. <laughs> So, Stewie, upsets are plenty in the tennis. Lots of seeds dropping like flies. Crowds behaving like complete dickheads. Curios inciting them. Where do we begin? It's bog standard Melbourne, isn't it? Yeah, well. <laughs> it really is. Well, we're not going to talk about Novak Djokovic suing Australia. God's a fucking goofball, isn't he? Well, that's, that's an interesting story. We'll look at it as more information comes mm. out. But no, I was actually thinking, funnily enough, last week, and where I wanted to start was that we were talking about how, well, certainly I talked about how nobody wins in this, in the the whole Djokovic thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, the whole thing is just terrible. But I was wrong. One guy won. And it was actually, funnily enough... Someone who placed a bet. A fellow, no, a fellow Serbian. Oh, uh, okay, because of the draw. Miamir Kecmanovic. So world number 77, career prize money of 2.7 million. And the guy that Djokovic, in all likelihood, would have played and beaten in the first round. Interesting. He'd never been past the second round in a Grand Slam before. But lo and behold, he made it through to the fourth round before being bundled out. He played a lucky loser in the first round instead of playing Djokovic. And instead of making 103 grand for losing in the first round, he's made 328. So the Djokovic thing actually helped him make another $225,000. There you go. Which is really cool. Yeah. So there you go. There is one winner in the whole thing. Now, as you mentioned, yeah, 
upsets are plenty, seeds dropping like flies. It is absolutely bog standard for these Grand Slams. And it's working out well for Ash, isn't it? It is. It is falling very, very nicely for Ash Barty. I mean, Pulled herself into the semis today. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we had five unseeded players in the, the fourth round. We've got three unseeded players into the quarterfinals. Madison Keys will be playing Ash Barty. So she was kind of meant to be the next Venus or Serena Williams. She's finally found some amazing form, pushed her way into the second week. We mentioned last week that she took out Sophia Kanin in the first round. She's knocked out eight seed Paula Badoza and just today the four seed Barbara Krajikova. So, yeah, into the semifinals against Ash Barty. Yeah, red hot form. Ash has conceded 17 games total across her 12 sets of tennis. Also in red hot form. 1.4 games per set. Yeah, wow. So, and we saw a bit of the Anisimova match on the weekend oh, yeah, as yeah. well. Amanda Anisimova, yeah. Yep. The, the American who just doesn't sound like she'd be American with her <laughs> name. Look, she's a really tough player. I was actually surprised at how comfortable that game was. And I was also very, very surprised at how comfortable Ash got through today. There have been a couple of times where I thought, oh, these are the sort of games that Ash would blow. But sure enough, she has absolutely come up trumps. And Australia will and truly pinning their hopes to her. I don't think an Aussie's won an Aussie Open for, what, 44 years or something? 34 years? A long time. At least three decades. Yeah, a long time. A long time. Yeah. I've no idea who Some it is. number ending, ending in a four. There you go. <laughs> I didn't take note. <laughs> four AD. My was a lot. Oh, dear. Then there's a couple of other ones that are a bit of a surprise. So Elise Cornet, the 32-year-old from France who knocked out three-seed Garbine Muguruza in straight sets. She's also put on one of the most grueling and punishing three-setters today that I've ever seen in ridiculous heat against Simona Hallett. She's now reached a matchup with Danielle Collins, which is certainly going to be another one that I, I think could go either way. Collins, the 27-seed, she's played some great tennis to get to here. And then probably the biggest surprise is Kaya Kanepi. She was a completely forgotten player in the women's side. Been around a long time. 36-year-old from Estonia. 10 years ago, she was the world number 15. Took out Angelique Kerber in the first round. I think I mentioned that one last week as well. Took out Arena Sabalenka in the fourth round. So she's the number two seed. She's got Iga Swiatek from Poland in the quarters. She could very easily push her way into a semi and into a final the way that she's playing. And it's so great because on the men's side of things, which we'll talk about in a second, we're seeing so many of these younger players coming through. But yet in the women's, we're seeing a lot of these. these yeah, the veterans. Sort of the, the, I guess you'd call them journey women yeah. that have been around and, and done it that many times. And they're actually saying that Cornet, for example, she's played in 60 consecutive Grand Slams, which is wow. one or two short of the all-time record. Wow. It's yeah, because guys and girls miss with injuries. Yeah, of course. It's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Things happen. So yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a lot. It is so hard to play. And then we've had COVID the last couple of years too. Yeah, yeah that's incredible. So to play 15 consecutive years effectively. Yeah, wow. wow. So, yeah, absolutely amazing. She'll be the Goran Ivanisovic. Uh, Could be. The story of the tournament if she can oh, make. <laughs> look, we don't if, want to beat anybody, but uh, look, it would be pretty amazing. If Ash can't win. Her or Kanepi would yeah, be a, yeah. a brilliant story. Or Madison Keys, for that matter. Yeah, true. All of it, yeah. All, all three of them. In the men, I mean, we've had a, a couple of pretty decent runs from Cinderella's. Maxime Cressy, the American with a booming serve and some amazing volleys. He made it to the fourth round. Daniel Medvedev took him out in four sets last night. We had Adrian Manorino. He had a pretty good run to the fourth round as well. He had a four-hour, 38-minute, four-set win. Wow. Over Aslan Karatsev. That one finished at 2.33 a.m. Speaking of runs, how's uh, Sitsipas going? So far, so good. Yeah, I don't think he's gone to the loo once. Maybe the Sitsipasium works. It, it must. It must be the <laughs> Sitsipasium. That's what it is. Merry Christmas. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's been interesting. I think he does actually have a massive, massive match coming up against my favourite Yannick Sinner. 
the 11 seed. I think that could be an absolute slobber knocker, that one. Look, Felix Orta Aliassim is playing against Daniel Medvedev as well. So there's some really cracking quarterfinals and and ensuing semifinals coming up. So I, I for one, am incredibly excited about these next few days of, of tennis. It should be an absolute cracker. I will have to do some research, but if Kanepi and Nadal win, because Rafa Nadal is still in the men's side, it could be the oldest combined winners we've seen at a slam in a long time. Ah, okay, yes. So they combined 71 years. Look, we're seeing a lot of new school in the men's, as I said. This whole bottom half of, yeah, Sinner, Poopsapas, Medvedev, <laughs> or you know, all of these guys, and, and Matteo Berrettini, uh, he was locked in a, I think, a four-setter with, uh, with Gail Monfils before we started recording. Haven't seen how that went. The women's could be anything. So we've got some great stuff going on. Dylan Alcott, we've mentioned, is in his final ever Grand Slam. He's going to face old foe Sam Schroeder in the final after he and I can't remember the guy's first name, but his surname is Vink. They took them out in the uh, semifinals. Yes, and we saw him beat Vink in the uh, the singles singles, here on the weekend as well. But uh, yeah, obviously the, the Dutch pair took him out in the doubles. And then probably the most unlikely of all, as you mentioned, Nick Kyrgios. So Kyrgios and Tanasi Kokonakis into the semifinals of the doubles somehow. They've knocked off the 15, 6 and 1 seed. Well, I think it's partly the army of fans that are at their games. It's pretty bad, isn't it, what's going the on? The CU thing. Yeah. yeah well, but also, like, people were booing while, like, I, I saw some footage today, and now I can't remember who it was, but during his ball toss, the crowd are booing, and he's done the ball toss three or four times. Eventually, he served while they're booing. Hmm. And then when Kyrgios has a serve next, he takes the piss and does a few stupid ball tosses it's just inciting them. It's it's not a good look. And they have actually had a couple of moments in their presses as well where they've kind of taken the piss out of the people that they've beaten. Do we really, like, it's bad enough the Novak thing. Do we really want to make our nation look even worse with this shit? Well. It's disappointing. It is. So they'll face the three seeds of Marcel Granolas and Horatio Zabalos as the probably one of the more unlikely semifinalists we've ever seen, though, these two. They, they are very much, I don't want to say an odd couple because they're not really that sort of Yin and yang. They're but, best uh, mates, but... But they're an odd pairing. I think the home tournament can be of use. Oh, it certainly can. Yeah. So, yeah, lots going on in Melbourne. The tennis seems to be in a decent place right now. We've got a bit of a glimpse of the life, certainly post the big three, Nadal accepted, and the Williams sisters as well. So yes, we're, indeed. We're, yeah, we're yeah. starting to see, I guess, what tennis is going to look like for the next five, ten years plus. And it's interesting. Really is interesting. So it could be a lot to talk about next week when we record. We should have... Certainly winners by the end of that, actually. I'd imagine that will be by the end of the week. Indeed. There you go. And now, this week in sport history. January 25th, 1960, Will Chamberlain scores 58 points, the most ever by an NBA rookie, as the Philadelphia Warriors defeat the Detroit Pistons 127-117 to at Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Almost more impressively, he would also tally 42 rebounds in the game, (laughs) at the time one below the rookie record set by Will Chamberlain twice earlier in the same season. He would break that record again with 45 a couple of weeks later. In fact, of the top 20 rookie rebound games of all time, Chamberlain has 16 of them. Only Jerry Lucas, Maurice Stokes and Bill Russell twice have actually entered the top 20. It's insane. There actually hasn't been a single 40 rebound game since 1969. No prize for guessing who that was as well. Will Chamberlain. Mm. He was so dominant on the boards that only Chamberlain, Russell, Lucas, and Nate Thurman have ever recorded a 40 rebound game. And Chamberlain has more than them combined. And in fact, the rest of NBA history combined, if you look at it. Yep, it's a lot. He fucking averaged more than 22 rebounds a game for his entire career. Yeah, it's outrageous. Isn't it just? 
Chamberlain would repeat the scoring feat less than a month later on the 21st of February in a 129-122 win over the New York Knicks, who had 41 points, 10 assists, and six rebounds from six-time All-Star and Hall of Famer Richie Guerin. It's really funny, though, how overlooked Chamberlain is in the whole GOAT discussion. He really does seem to be, doesn't he? I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because there's those stories of him goaltending teammates' shots and stuff. Yeah, the, the lack, But, like, I'm sure of, he was blocking shots at the other end. So Absolutely. There's the lack of team success. Yeah. And a few other bits and well, pieces. He won the championship. We even had that season where he attempted to lead the league in assists, which is pretty weird. Yeah, he too. wasn't that far off. I mean, yeah. Oscar Robertson obviously was a, a, an assist yeah. machine at yes, the time. A point guard as yeah. well, of course. Yeah, Guy Rogers as well. A lot of guys back in that era that were, were very good. Norm Van Leer, several mm. others. Yeah, we've got, got hundreds of them. But uh, yeah, it's, it is crazy when you think about how the scoring stuff, I mean, no one's ever going to get to 100. Kobe got to 81 and was still a quarter away, basically, from breaking that. And the rebounding side of things, I mean, what we've had maybe a handful of guys have had 30 rebounds in the last oh, couple of decades. Anything over 20 is exceptional, really. And anything like, over 30 is like top of the oh, news yeah, run, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. So to get 40... And his teams aren't even getting 40 nowadays. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yep. So, yeah, absolutely amazing. One of the most dominant forces to ever live. No doubt. January 25th, 2003, Pro Bowl Centre Barrett Robbins goes missing just two days before Super Bowl 37, walking out of the team's hotel in San Diego and hitching a ride 20 miles across the border to Tijuana in Mexico, where he would drink and take drugs well into the next day. He was apparently that out of his mind that he thought the Raiders had actually won the Super Bowl. In fact, they hadn't. The Buccaneers destroyed them 48-21 with Robbins in hospital during rehab while the game was still on. Amazingly, it wasn't the first time Robbins went AWOL. Two years earlier, this time in the week leading up to the AFC Championship game against the Baltimore Ravens, Robbins went missing before turning up about 24 hours later. This incident went completely unreported. His story took a really sad turn after this, though. During the following season, he was found doing steroids and was let go by the Raiders never to play again. Unfortunately, he spiralled even worse once his pro career was over. On Christmas Eve 2004, he punched the security guard who was attempting to keep him from entering a bar at the Sir Francis Drake Hotel in San Francisco after hours and was arrested on misdemeanor battery, trespassing and public intoxication. Only three weeks later, he was shot three times in the lung and chest during a brawl with police officers at Miami Beach, which subsequently left him in a coma. When he came out of that some two months later, he pled guilty to five charges, including attempted murder. He somehow managed to only get five years of probation and was sent back to rehab. In 2010, he was pulled over near Dallas with crack cocaine in his car and was sentenced to five years in prison, for which he served just a year and a half. And it goes on. In 2016, he was arrested for felony battery in Boca Raton after punching a woman and her daughter. Ugh, that's not good. Not. Sending him to a mental health facility. Then in late 2020, after allegedly leaving a restaurant without paying, he was pursued on foot by a restaurant employee and he was said to have thrown a rock at the woman before being arrested. To this day, Robin says that he sleeps through Super Bowls because of the painful memories it brings up for him. A very sad story indeed. It is. He's actually doing okay from what I've read, though. He's just an incredibly shy, out-of-the-media sort of person now. He just wants to live his own life, not quite in solitary, but he kind of, yeah, stays away from yeah, the media. That's fair enough. Which is, yeah. Yeah, for, Hopefully for he's staying away from the drugs, too. Well, from all accounts, he has. And January 30th, 1996, Magic Johnson comes out of a four-year retirement to help the LA Lakers to a 128-118 to win over the Golden State Warriors at the LA Forum. Johnson had 19 points, 8 rebounds, and 10 assists in his return. Wow. Yeah, which it's is nuts. magnificent. Yeah, it really is. 
four years away from the game. Yeah. That's incredible. Like riding a bike. Oh, yeah, well. Apparently. Yeah. Magic had previously retired on the 7th of November 1991 after contracting the HIV virus and had played in the 1992 All-Star game after being voted in by the fans. Interestingly, a lot of players were against the idea. Former teammate AC Green noted that, quote, they don't normally let retired players play. Charles Barkley said that Magic should sit the game out because it detracted from a lot of other players who had had great starts to the season. And Carl Malone even said there was a risk of contamination if Magic suffered a wound while on the court. Magic would also make the Dream Team roster for the Barcelona Olympics as the Americans dominated. Then he kind of drifted into that retirement properly. Mm. He coached 16 games for the Lakers going 5-11 and 11 before he resigned. And then 1,540 days after his official retirement, Magic laced him up again. Basically as a power forward this time. Who could pass? <laughs> yeah, well, he was. I think they, they said he was 255 pounds. Yeah, yeah. Heavy, I remember how big he was. The heaviest he'd been by a long way. But I also remember the passes he was throwing in the yeah. in the top 10 plays on NBA action. Oh, it's amazing. So the Lakers went 29 and 11 the rest of the season, but Magic's comeback actually caused issues in the locker room. Cedric Sabalos felt like his role diminished and it upset the team's chemistry. And he even left the team without informing them for a number of days. It was weird. He sort of said to the team, oh, the reason I left was because I was having some sort of family issues. Just kind of wanted to go and get them sorted. But people saw him out at nightclubs. They saw him, I think it was jet skiing or water skiing or doing something on a lake. You still got to notify the team, even if there were, even if it were true, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So obviously he didn't have that big an issue that he, you know, could give up the water skiing. <laughs> yes. It's ridiculous. And then Nick Van Exel made it common knowledge that he wouldn't change his style of play because Magic was there. And that was the team's co-captains. Mm. Not great. No. Despite having home court advantage in their first round against the defending champions, Houston Rockets, the Lakers were pushed aside three games to one. The Lakers did pick up Kobe and Shaq the following season. They've done pretty well since. <laughs> I remember that Shaq off season. That wasn't too bad. Oh, wow. We couldn't believe it. Yeah. But that was a big offseason. That was when Dikembe went to the Hawks and there were a few moves that offseason. Oh, there would have been some big ones. Yeah, yeah, true. yeah. Now, if you look at the three players that we've just mentioned, Magic now has a net worth of around $700 million. He's doing all right for himself. Co-owner of the LA Dodgers. Yeah, he's, <laughs> among other things. I think he's winning. <laughs> Sabalos left the Lakers after the following season before playing for 14 teams in 14 years and nearly dying of COVID a few weeks back, if you remember. 14? I don't remember that. Not all in the NBA. There were a few. Oh, I see. Ones. Okay, yeah. Because I remember he had a decent stint in Miami is probably his strongest. He also had an okay stint in Phoenix, of course, the blindfold dunk comp dunk. That, yeah. was, that was the previous Oh, time. that before yeah, the Lakers. That was, that was, oh, that was uh, 92 in Orlando. Ah, there you go. There you go. Okay. He actually played for a team in the Indonesian basketball Wow, league. really? <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> career so yeah he had a crazy little career nick van exel was an all-star with the lakers in 1998 then played with denver dallas golden state portland and san antonio before retiring in 2006 one year short of winning a championship with yes the Spurs. yes he came in after they won it against detroit and came out before they won it against cleveland whoopsie doodle oh, indeed indeed this week in sport history so, Stuart, I'm not going to say anything about how long we're going to go with this segment because we proved to stuff that up last week. It'll be a non-predetermined Indeed, it will be as long as it will be. Yes. Yeah, a little bit going on in the NBL this week. We're obviously seeing a lot more games being played. Cairns finally played after about seven years. Yeah, yes, I caught the second half of that today. Seven years off, basically. Yes, indeed. Like. Well, it was it was New Year's Eve the last time they played, mm. so nearly a whole month. Yeah. Gee whiz. Yeah, that loss to the Wildcats. Yeah. 
So did want to talk about a few of the teams today and, and we'll kind of talk about the other teams by proxy, but kind of wanted to talk about Illawarra, Sydney, Melbourne United and South East Melbourne. So we'll start off with the Hawks. Very interesting weekend for them. Oh, bizarre. So an 11 point win over Adelaide, but unfortunately for them, they managed to blow a pretty comfortable lead against the Wildcats to lose by, I think it was 16 in the end. Oh, it was remarkable. Tale of two halves and then also a half of a quarter because it was kind of a <laughs> yeah. bit crap after the first for them, wasn't <laughs> pretty it? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah, interesting one. It's, it's a, one of these weekends where I think it actually has more questions than answers for the Hawks. I mean, yes, the story of Harry Froling shooting the lights out against Adelaide is awesome. I really hope Harry Froling continues playing well. Yes, the story of Tyler Harvey shooting the ball well is great. I've not been high on him. I know no. that. But I also have said that I hope he comes good. But this game is against Adelaide. Yes, they beat the Wildcats a couple of weeks ago, but they were coming off COVID. Their only other two wins are against Tasmania and New Zealand, who are both at the bottom Cellar of the ladder. Yeah. Yep. Right now, Adelaide is not a good team. Dusty Hannah's played less than 14 minutes off the bench. Yeah, that's huge to have an import that was starting at the start of the season to play that little. He That's took massive. less shots than K-Soto in yeah, that game. massive, massive. Uh, he's on the chopping block. I said it at the start of the season. Oh, yeah, Saturday. we both did. Uh, it's, it's just tricky in these times to find a replacement, but mm. you, they might need to, yeah. And, and they're having issues defensively as well. I mean, how many of Froling's threes were wide open? The guy's like five from five from deep. They're just daring him to shoot and he just kept hitting it. Yeah, here's a thought. Don't dare a guy who's shooting 100% to keep shooting. Do you reckon they're missing Keanu Pinder a little bit? He looked really good defensively today for Cairns. Yeah. He, granted, it was a loss to Southeast Melbourne, but he, he did a lot of good things in that second half, I thought. I just think they're missing a lot of players. Yeah. I mean, they're missing Isaiah Humphreys. That doesn't help. Huge. So, yeah, it's unfortunately for Adelaide, they're just not an amazing team. Look, Sunday Detch coming back is a good addition. Certainly will, will help them defensively. Massive defensively. Yeah, huge. But then what are you taking away on the offensive end? So it's... it's Hannah's. <laughs> He's yeah, not doing anything. Exactly. So that's, that's where the minutes have come from. And so the question out of this one is around Froling's big night. Is it just putting a Band-Aid over the fact that Duop Reith got injured and didn't return? Well, it's next man up, I guess, isn't it? He took the, most of his opportunity. Mm, but we don't know what's happening with Duop Reith. So Yeah, it was hard to tell, wasn't it? It was a lower back or a side strain. It was... Yeah, so Cam Bairstow has kind of slipped a screen, got a bit of inside position. Reith's come backing back in to try and get position back. And he's kind of hit the lower part of his back on Bairstow's hip. So you don't know whether it is a back issue, which could keep him sidelined for a while. And look, is Harry Froling going to shoot that well every game? No, of course not. I don't think so. No, but they, they, they're big. They've also got Ogilvy. So they can actually weather a big man going down more than most teams in the competition. They can. I mean, Reith is amazing and he was my MVP pick, but they can weather it. Hopefully it's not too long for them. Mm, yeah. I think be, this is going to be a very interesting period for Illawarra. It'll be testing. They have a lot of home games coming up though. They do. So that will help. They do. But you look at a lot of the stuff that's going on with the Hawks and we, we fast forward to the Wildcats game. And you know, this was a real opportunity for Illawarra to send a statement to the rest of the league and blow Perth off the court. Another slow start for the Wildcats gave them ample opportunity to, to put them away early. Yep. Yep. So third straight game for Perth where they've been dominated in an opening quarter. Yep. Absolutely looking dead to rights, Perth. And look, Illawarra's defense started off great. Antonius Cleveland was basically looking like an MVP candidate. Xavier Rathan Mays was the same. They're menaces in the passing lanes, yeah, with their length and athleticism. But they took the foot off the pedal. Yeah, I, uh, it was inexplicable. It really was. Uh, look, we know how awesome Vic Law is. We've watched it every game so far. But if he starts cooking, why wouldn't you start doubling off guys like Luke Travers or Kevin White or Mitch Norton and say, if these guys beat us with jump shots, so be it. You tip well, your hat. 
Kevin White's kind of relegated to the end of the bench now, almost, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Interesting to see how Mitch will go as well. I still feel like the rotation isn't settled in the Wildcats camp. Mm. Maybe Norto's still a bit injured. Yeah. But the funny thing is they did start leaving people open. Bryce Cotton and Todd Blanchfield. Yeah, yeah. Blanchfield played really well. They leave the wrong guys open. Yeah, right? Blanchfield in his limited minutes this season has been excellent. Just yeah. nailing threes left, right and centre. Yeah. yeah. But also getting to the basket, he had a nice dunk off a feed from Jesse Wagstaff. He did, he did. Hitting a few, few of those mid-range, those little one-hand The one-hand, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as I said, this was a chance for Illawarra and they rolled over. Harvey was five of 18 in this one, one of nine from three. He still played 38 minutes though. When you're shooting the ball that badly and your coach is putting you on the floor for 38 minutes, I, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Your star point guard, yeah. But you've got guys like Emmett Nah and Isaac White on the bench who are just afterthoughts. Like they sub White in with three minutes left in the fourth quarter. It's too late. The game's gone. Well, it was interesting in the halftime chat that Gorge and he was like, I've got to extend my rotation. I know that. And I acknowledge that. So that was interesting because he has had the, the shortest rotation of any team in the comp. So and, with and, COVID and all the stuff that's going on. And this is why I'm worried about them. Because yeah. well, all yeah. of a sudden guys they have are getting, the horses. But guys are getting thrust into positions that they, they're not ready for. So yeah, we'll kind of get to see. I mean, even against Adelaide, you take out Harry Froling and they get 16 points from their bench. So yeah, and, and you kind of you can put Froling into the starting five because Reith only played 10 minutes. But it's I don't know. I'm just Every week, I feel like I have more questions and more concerns about Illawarra than I did the week before. I still think they'll come good, but every win is like gold in this competition and you don't want to be blowing those home games. Yeah. So, yeah. This is it. What are they, four and three now? So, I don't know. I mean, they're not going to miss the four. Don't get me wrong. I'm not concerned about them missing the No, that would be very surprising. But it just worries me in a three-game series against a Melbourne United or Perth or whoever it happens to be. Brisbane. Yeah, you just don't know. Just don't know. Brisbane, I don't think are going to make it. They are. Just... Well, the pro- the problem is they beat the good teams and they lose to the crap teams. Mm. That's Brisbane's problem. Well, They're, they'll be on that bubble though, definitely. I think maybe we move on to the two Jekyll and Hyde teams then, who just happen to play each other in a home and away over the weekend. I mean, you have got Sydney and Brisbane, Jekyll and Hyde. It's these are the two most frustrating teams in the entire league. And Sydney finally got a win, which is good to see. Yeah, well, look, we'll we'll start with Sydney though, I guess. I mean, they played Brisbane twice, as we said. In the first game, the old Violet Crumbles came out, and it's disappointing. Sixteen points up at quarter time, they wasted the best version of Jalen Adams we've seen, and it's just it's stupid stuff. They're losing sight of the ball on a back cut. They're drifting away from shooters, guys that are shooting beautifully. I mean, okay, Jason Kadee and Steph Curry have kind of swapped bodies in the last week. <laughs> Seriously. Kadee has hit a rich vein of form, hasn't he? Yeah, 8 of 15 from yeah. 3 across their two games this weekend. It's weird, but the Kings just threw this one away. Like, thanks to the boys at the Pocket Podcast. Appreciate them bringing this to the world's attention on Twitter. Sean Bruce, nearly 24 minutes of action. <laughs> Joseph will find any excuse to bag. Yeah, kick, kick, <laughs> kick a bloke while he's down, but fair enough. No points, no assists, no rebounds, no steals, no blocks, one turnover and a minus 18 in the plus minus. Yeah, not good. And, as I said, Jalen Adams played out of his skin, 33 Yeah, points. yeah, that was his best game, definitely. And Huge. As I said, it just after quarter time, Sydney just they just took the foot off the accelerator the same as Illawarra did. And They don't execute down the stretch. They're incapable of executing down the stretch. Unless they have a nice giant lead like they did in their win. In the second game, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and this is what's so weird. Two days later, they come out and stomp the same Brisbane team. They got stuff out of Dayan Vasiljevic. They got contributions from Adams and Jarrell Martin. This time they were ruthless. 
They had the lead. They put the, the foot on the neck and basically snapped it. But the questions are still going to continue around the consistency of this Sydney team. Oh, of course. But not just in the, the way they play, but the effort. It's the effort category. We know they're talented. We know they're good enough to be a top four team. But do they want it enough? Well, they need more effort with guys like Jordan Hunter out. So, and they're down an import too. I'm, I'm going to use a parallel. Jesse Wagstaff. He is 35 going on 36. And he will still step in and take a charge on every play. Yes, he's got more flop warnings than anyone in league history. <laughs> Apart from maybe Sean Redditch, his former team. Well, that's true. <laughs> but he will still step in and take a charge on every single play. Would a bench player for Sydney like a Tom Bodanovic or an Angus Glover do the same every night? I don't know. I love Angus Glover. So. Uh, yeah. Look, he had yeah, a but- decent couple of games, but you just like, are they going to No, the, the effort? effort's huge. And as I say, the margin for error when you've got big names out, including a rim protector in Jordan Hunter, it's, yeah, you've got to play hard. And look, Sydney, we can't really speculate on their new import until they sign them, but it, it will be very interesting to see which direction they go once they finally sign one. And for Brisbane, it's the same story. They, okay, they give up a big lead in the first quarter of the first game and they come roaring back. They play this beautiful final three quarters of basketball. Sobey's in good form, isn't he? Yeah, look, Sobey's playing great basketball. Kadee, as I say, is starting to shoot well. Patterson's been a little bit down. I think I'm a bit worried that he's kind of fading off. He's almost as inconsistent as the team, I think, actually. Yeah, he kind of is. He's He's kind of the barometer, yeah. 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 And, And this is it. Then they just basically come out and shit the bed when they go to Sydney. It's the same team. You've played them 48 hours ago and you've beaten them. How you can rock up to Sydney and just play that poorly, I don't understand. We do quickly need to talk, though, about the Xavier Cooks ejection. So this rule, and we we spoke about a stupid rule earlier in the NFL. Yes. This one's not quite as bad, but it's pretty bad. A technical foul and an unsportsmanlike foul equals an ejection. How ridiculous is that? It's particularly ridiculous because they've been so quick on the trigger finger with the text this season. Well, There's the been some really bad... Well, yeah, and the ends. Well, they... Yeah. I mean, you've, you've always been... I've sad. always hated... They've actually got better with the unsportsmanlike over the last couple of years, to be honest. But it's a bit rough, isn't it? It is rough. Well, it is. If you get a technical foul early and you mistime a reach on a semi-fast break, you're yeah. gone. Yeah, yep. That, that's not deserving of being tossed from a game. Yep. And, I, and, and, so, and some of the... Intentional fouls that are called, they're not Grayson Allen levels of intentional foul. They're no. fairly innocuous. They just happen to be on a fast break. And, and I think that's the difference. If you were saying a technical foul and the NBL equivalent of a flagrant, fair enough. I can kind of get behind that. But if you're talking about, yeah, a guy has got a steal and you've instinctively wrapped him, yeah. Re- yep. well, if you've, if you've just, just reached, instinctively yeah. reached in to take the ball away and they're going to call that every time now. If you've already got a tech, and it could be a really piss-weak tech, you might have done something stupid and gone, ah, oh, fuck it, and the ref texts you. Well, you know, that, that, is, that is a really poor decision in terms of getting someone thrown out of a game. And Xavier Cooks, early in that game, that could be the turning point and why Brisbane won the game. I don't know. There's, well, he's a big player to be missing. He, he is. So. Yeah, and he does a lot. And and he he can rim protect. So if they lose him, it's huge. Mm. It's huge. This is where I think the Americans have got it right. Two techs will get you thrown out or two... I mean, I don't want to go to the whole you know, flagrant one, flagrant two sort of thing, but... No, I'm actually okay with that system. A two th- I prefer that system. Yeah, a two throws you out or two ones. Yeah. So it's an accumulation of any value equaling two in the unsportsmanlike. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm okay with that. So yeah, I can kind of deal with that. Even if you say like... Two unsportsmanlike fouls and you're thrown out. Yep. And if that means you've reached once and you got caught, you don't do it again. Yep. Speeds the game up. So, yep. yeah, not great. 
Melbourne United. Jeez, they're looking good. Seven in a row. It just someone steps up every single game. So they've played Adelaide. Now, again, I've, I've said over this, this last sort of few minutes, yes, a win against Adelaide doesn't mean that much, but it's how they won it. You got three points from Matthew Delavadova. You got six points from Caleb Agata, and they win by 21. And that's after Delhi had a 30. Yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? it, it is. It's crazy. Ariel Huckporty. Yes. He has taken a huge leap in these recent weeks. He was an absolute beast in this game. Oh, he, he was even looking impressive in the Blitz. So I'm not at all surprised he started to perform even better. Yep. But they've started using him properly. And we know this. What is the biggest thing that he has going for him? Athleticism. Absolutely. Yeah. You throw him a lob at the top of the square, he'll go up and get it. Oh, of course. He'll, he'll eat it up. And they had two really good examples. Shay Ely threw one of the passes. Can't remember who threw the other one. It might have been Ily as well, but two really, really great lobs that have just been up just a little bit higher than what the Adelaide players can get. And the power that that man possesses, he's a unit and he's just, oh, just throwing it down. It's, yeah, it'd be interesting to see him climbing the draft boards potentially. And look, there's even some other guys. Like, as I said, Shay Ely was excellent. Okay, he only had seven points and seven assists, but. No, he's a good role player. You need role players. But 100% shooting, only one turnover. And he plays good day. And, yeah. and he does. Yeah. New York Nick Brad Newley turned up. <laughs> Seriously, he was awesome. 10 uh, points. He's out running the lanes. Like he looked like Brad Newley from a few years ago. JLA Joe Luala Chul, absolute beast. And fucking Chris Goulding taking threes while he's not even facing the right way. It's, oh, he's, I mean, he's that guy. He's a freak. He? Yeah, he is. So look, when they're playing like this, I think they might be unbeatable. <laughs> I don't, I don't think there's a team that can stick with them. I think we underestimated them. Oh, massively. Yeah. I'm the first yeah. to put my hand up and say yeah. I, I'm massively And look, it, it is hard. with Guys like Huck Porty are hard to kind of know. We didn't anticipate his impact. Of course. we did. But they're a very well-balanced team and they've got guys like Jack White as well. So, that yeah, that, they have a very good roster. They're well coached. I think we just misread how well they would mesh so, yeah. so quickly. Yeah. So look, and they had some injuries credit. at the start of the season too. Maybe we overestimated them, yeah. but yeah. No, yeah. full credit to United. They look brilliant. On the flip side, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, really interesting point Liam Santa Maria made on overtime today. The Phoenix haven't really got that signature win yet. Well, neither Melbourne team has played Perth yet, for example, have they? So that'll be interesting to see when those matches happen. True. But with United, for example, like they punched Sydney by 42 and they beat Illawarra. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they've got that signature. Yeah, yeah. Perth knocked off the Hawks after trailing big time. The Hawks beat Sydney away. I guess you could say that's a decent win. The Phoenix haven't got anything, though. And I'll tell you what, they didn't look all that impressive today against Cairns, who were missing Machado and Noy. Mm. So, okay, they they had Joe Chi out. Granted, he's a pretty important piece for them, but they probably should have handled Cairns a bit better. And look, this is where Brandon Ashley becomes quite an important pickup. He was able to step in at a, a reasonable game with 12 and 4. He was handy. He did foul out, but he had a pretty important tip dunk fairly late in the game. He had a block. So, yeah, no, he looked good. Yeah. And this is where the whole sort of sneaky under the radar Mitch Creek MVP stuff. Creek played bloody well. He he was a man on a mission in that second half. Like if you look at his numbers, he's averaging 22 points a game, three assists and 4.8 rebounds is a bit low. But again, they've got a pretty decent rebounding team in terms of having Joe Chi there, having a lot of the, the smaller guys that can come in and pick up those rebounds. So I'm not too worried by that. It's more the points I think that are important. Oh yeah, no, no. He played very well today. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, this is the thing. I mean, the Phoenix really need to pick up one of those sort of impress-me wins. 
whether it be beating Perth, whether it be beating an Illawarra away, beating a fully charged Melbourne United. I mean, they played him without Golding, so yeah, yeah, that yeah. doesn't mean as much. Yep. So, yeah, it, it's a really interesting time coming up for the Phoenix. They've, they've got a couple of big games coming up in the next month. And then just quickly to round out the NBL, Kay Soto. So great to see the big Filipino getting some time now. He's making the most of his time. Six points and nine boards against Melbourne, 12 and five against Illawarra. No Isaac Humphreys for a while, so this is the time to really bring him in and see what the young fella can do. The, the, the season has officially started now for Kay Soto. And just quickly, Stewie, I saw a number of other block charges challenged, but upheld, unsurprisingly. <laughs> so if you're going to do a coach's challenge, the block charge is pretty rarely going to be overturned. Unless you're New Zealand. Now, in the NBA, some pretty big flagrant fouls and <sighs> maybe not enough suspensions. And then we have another case as well that might have necessitated a suspension. That one's really bizarre. But let's start with the flagrant fouls. Well, we'll start off with the slightly less severe of the two. So Taylor Horton Tucker has basically taken Jalen Suggs completely out of midair. This one didn't look particularly great, even though it is the better of the two. Now, Suggs has already missed 21 games this season. Keep that in mind. He's turned the corner from the top of the key and looked to throw one down on Horton Tucker, but a clash of arms and Suggs has basically landed on his back really hard. There was a slight follow-through from Horton Tucker after he'd already got a lot of ball, which I didn't think was kind of that necessary. I mean, what do you think of this Uh, one? These ones are so tricky because they're so bang-bang, aren't they? Like They they happen in such a split second. I don't think there was malicious intent there. It it didn't look great and he landed hard, but I don't think Horton Tucker was trying to be too dodgy there. He did put his hands up straight away to sort of say, my bad, yeah. He did not mean to do that. So, yeah, I I think that one's okay. Look, it's a flagrant one. Just more so because of the landing than anything. But yeah, it's it's unfortunate, I think. The most unfortunate thing is those stupid orange uniforms that Orlando... Why do teams have so many fucking uniforms? And why were they not yellow or blue? Do you know the awesome thing, though? The very next game against Chicago, Suggs turned the corner, went up the exact same way and dunked over oh, the Harbour Rosen. It was magnificent. You gotta love youth. Huge. You gotta love them. Now, the worst one of the two involves good friend Grayson Allen. And, and, said, and funnily enough, the Bulls, speaking yes. of Tomato Rosen in the previous case. Yeah. Very, very true. So Alex Caruso has taken a pass on a break, goes up for a layup, and Grayson Allen appears to go for the block with his left arm. Now, he's caught Caruso's arm, spinning him around, but it appears that Allen's right arm is kind of swatted down on him, which has caused Caruso to spin more in the air and land on his wrist and his side. Allen was ejected. Caruso will miss at least the next four to eight weeks with a broken wrist. Yeah, Chicago all of a sudden have these major injury troubles. Now, this is a guy in Allen who has a long history of tripping guys, throwing in cheap shots. Oh, he was a douchebag at Duke. In college, he was a douchebag. So it it extends pre-pro career. Yeah, it's been a while since he's done anything dirty like this, but... It, it's he doesn't really, get enough court time. <laughs> well, well he's, he's been starting. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating it's, a bit. Yeah, but. It, it's so hard to defend this. And to me, though, it's it's the right arm. It's not so much the left. The left is going for the block and unfortunately gets hooked. It's the right arm pushing down. It's the swing. momentum. Yeah, you yeah. really throw a guy. Well, I mean, the proof's in the pudding. But we don't like suspensions or punishments to be doled out based on outcome. It should be based on intent. Mm, true. So the fact that Caruso did get this pretty horrible injury that will hurt the Bulls season pretty badly, it's got to be said, because he's been playing really well. Yes. I think the intent is what needs to be looked at when you're looking at the suspension. One game is... Do you think, eh, do you, do you think it's enough? I don't know. 
It's tricky, isn't it? Well, it is because all the Bulls fans will argue, well, Caruso is going to probably miss 20 games. So how exactly is that fair? I think a couple. Yeah, maybe maybe more than one. It's, maybe two. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It is tough. It is tough. But to add insult to injury, the Milwaukee Bucks Twitter person posted a picture of Allen holding a donut the next day with the caption, good morning. Yeah. Chicago Bulls Twitter person responded seriously. Like, yeah, that's all they said. Seriously? Yeah, like, good on them. That's, yeah, that's not, a lot. Not cool at all. Speaking of not cool, David Vanterpool. There's a name I bet most people have never even heard of. Yeah, I had to think about this, Dewey, because I put this on the list, but I didn't put his name down. That was a really bizarre one. Really bizarre. So for people who've missed this, a massive moment in the Nets game against Washington. Less than six minutes to go. It's a six-point game. Spencer Dinwiddie tries to pass the ball to Kyle Kuzma in the corner. Vanterpool had his hand up. Now, I don't know if he was sort of giving directions. He touched it intentionally. But he's deflected the ball and... Shock horror, it ends up in a turnover in the Nets regain possession. I reckon he touched it intentionally. Well, the Nets won the game by a point. Yeah. So So all the Wizards are gesticulating saying, hold on, he's touched it. Like this shouldn't be happening. It should be a tech. Or more, really. Like I, I it was it was do you know what it was reminded me of? The umpire Peter Kerry marking a ball in the footy. Yeah, a little bit. So it was an intentional act in the heat of the moment, if that makes sense. So obviously an umpire doesn't go on the field to mark a footy and an assistant coach doesn't stand on the sideline to intentionally hit a ball. But as a ball came near him, his instinct was to reach out and touch it, I think. I've got a better parallel. Okay. It's the Mike Tomlin, Jacoby Jones incident from a while back where Jones was fielding a punt and taking it down the sidelines and Tomlin was standing basically inbounds at the time. Yeah, that was a bit dodgy. So it's a I don't know what the outcome of that one was, but this one, I don't know. Should it be a suspension? Like, well, the it ne- wasn't that inadvertent. I don't know. It felt to me like he did it on purpose. Yeah, so Vanterpool was fined $10,000. The, the Nets were fined $25,000. I think a suspension is probably fair. Yeah. I mean, they always talk about the coaches being back in their box as well. The assistant coaches shouldn't be that close to the, no. the sidelines. And in a close game, not and, good. And as we said, it directly impacted the result of the game. A one-point game, honestly, it's yeah, it's disappointing. It is. Quick bowl bowl update. <laughs> we spoke about his <laughs> trade last week or the second Standing trade. item, hey? And uh, yeah, he's out for eight to 12 weeks with foot surgery. So maybe the Detroit doctor was right after all. <laughs> oh, dear. So, Stuart, as I mentioned at the top, unfortunately, by getting my booster, I felt pretty crap for a day, and it did mean that it derailed my editing efforts a little bit. But the good thing was that I had the day off, so I got to watch a lot of sport and catch up on a lot of sport, and I just jagged that Clippers-Denver game. What an amazing game that was. Like, from pillar to post, great close game. And then, of course, going to OT... And Jokic getting his triple-double. He didn't get his 50. He ended up on 49. But getting his triple-double on the pass that led to the three-point shot. What a pass. Too. Oh, it was it was fantastic. The, the vision that that guy has and the skill that he has at that size. But I reckon he knew what he was doing all along. He was waiting for that double to come and then chucked it over into the corner. Yeah. I think it was just kind of react to where the open player was. Yeah. And it just so happened to be Aaron Gordon. And, and he, he hit that three. It was just... a big clutch three and great game. Oh, Crazy scene after that, though, and it was something that the camera kind of missed was one of the reserves for Denver thinking, yes. thinking the game was over. Yes, ran onto, onto the, the court. court. And so a tech foul was given. It goes to a two-point game instead of a three. And Reggie Jackson basically rimmed out, rimmed out yeah, a three yeah. that would have won the game. Oh, it was a great game. It was a classic and a good result for Denver. And the same day, Embiid had a 50, 50 yeah. in like 27 minutes or something. It yeah. wasn't long at all. Mm. So, yeah, there's that that constant kind of who's better, Jokic. Oh, I 
I think it's Jokic. Uh, I, I would take Jokic over Embiid. Hmm. Well, also because Embiid's a bit of a douchebag. But, geez, you'd be happy with either of them on your team. You would be very happy. Yeah. A couple of quick crazy stats to round out this one. Always. Everyone talking about Steph Curry being an MVP candidate, funnily enough. But amazingly, Russell Westbrook is actually shooting a better percentage than in this season. Well, Russell Westbrook has more All-Star votes than Chris Paul does. So there you go. Oh, God. Freaking Lakers fans. Did you see that one-foot brick off the backboard that was doing the rounds on social media by Westbrook? Which, it was the worst shot. Which one? Oh, God. As a Thunder fan, I've dealt with a lot of those. Oh, it was terrible. I've dealt with ones where he's blocked himself with the ring. <laughs> Gone up for a layup and basically hit his wrist <laughs> off the ring and it bounced backwards. Oh, so, not good. Not good. And not NBA, but a really good one to round things out. Caitlin Clark for Iowa the other day had back-to-back 30-point triple-doubles for the first time ever in Division One basketball history, men's or women's. She is a name to watch on those draft picks. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, huge. Mm. And I do have an NBA one, speaking of the All-Star stuff. Kyrie Irving also has more votes than a lot of people and he's barely played, which is ridiculous. And Clutch Sports were saying, vote for Ben Simmons. Why don't we just vote for Magic Johnson? Well, I mean, this is how the Wiggles get number one on Hottest 100. People vote stupid stuff, don't they? Vote for Paul Arizon. <laughs> vote for Methuselah. But it's another reason why I just don't yeah. like the All-Star game. Let- and thank God they've dialed back the percentage of the fan vote a little bit because <sighs> it's ridiculous. Let, let the media do it. And there was a funny one. Did you see... Um, Oh, it was really sly. So how's this? All Things Mavs did a tweet. Retweet this if you believe that hashtag Ja Morant deserves to be an NBA All-Star, also with the hashtag, more than Luka Doncic deserves to be an NBA All-Star. Let's vote Ja Morant into the NBA All-Star game, not Luka Doncic. Now, votes count based on hashtags. But what this cheeky little bug has done, instead of O in Morant, he's used the number zero. And so anyone that retweeted it wasn't actually voting for Morant. They were voting for Doncic. And Mark Cuban himself also retweeted that one. So, and look, he would, he's he's the owner, he would, but that's pretty devious, hey? That is incredibly devious. Yeah. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week takes us back to the ridiculous world of mixed gender MMA and about in Russia between women's blogger, 26 year old Sasha Mamaha and 50-year-old porn-themed performance artist Alexander Pistolotov. What the hell is a porn-themed performance artist? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I've got no fucking idea. (laughs) Just some dirty old man, basically. Oh, man. I believe it's basically just performance art where he's wearing very little clothing. Right, okay. And look, for a 50-year-old, he's in good shape. He's in a lot better shape than I am. Well, if he's competing in MMA, I would imagine, you know, you'd be in a right shape. This 26-year-old was not in great shape. Yeah, okay. But, but, I mean, that previous sentence alone, that's bloody hell enough. (laughs) But, yeah, unsurprisingly, this one was mayhem from the opening bell. In the third round, a member of Mamaha's entourage actually jumped into the cage while Pistolotov was attempting a submission and attempted a flying curb stomp. Wow. Thankfully, the umpire saw it coming and was able to intervene in time. But the fight continued. They reset the pair in that submission position. And Mama, what a shit show. Yeah, so she submitted not long after that. Right. But it gets crazier, though. Mama has actually protested the result, and the organisers have agreed to resume the fight again for an additional round, and she was declared the winner on points. Wow. Even though she'd already tapped out. Wow. What a... Jeez. So the, there's a photo that they put up showing the referee lifting Mamaha's arm, which portrays the whole what the fuckery of this whole thing. 
the referee and Pistolatov's faces clearly asking yet again, what are we doing here? Yeah. Like, why is this happening? So for a ridiculous ending to a ridiculous event to the Russian MMA, all I can say is Krovaviad, bloody hell. Bloody hell. So, Shui, let's start with the women's ashes. Unfortunately, there haven't been as many games as scheduled due to inclement weather. Adelaide! Yes. We gave them praise for, what was it? <laughs> Being dry. Every 40th test, they have a day rained out, and they've lost not just the second, but also the third yes. T20. Yes, indeed. That first one, though, Talia McGrath, my God. I knew she could bowl, but that batting performance was magnificent. Holy yeah. shit. I mean, she's had some cracking batting performances in the WBBL this season as well. But yeah, certainly a 91 off 49. Oh, next level. That is the way that you lead. And look, three for 26 off her four overs as well. Huge. In, in a real batter-friendly pitch, it has to be said. Short boundaries, really, really quick outfield. So yeah, it was a, an amazing all-round performance. And a lot of people saying that... She's kind of uprooted Elise Perry now. Well, I was just about to say, you have to be that good in order to supplant Elise Perry. And she was the big omission from from those T20s, basically, was having her out of the side. And it it is weird. It's so weird that she's not an automatic walk-up after so many years. She'll be in the test, though. And they could play her as a batter if they wanted to. And apparently Beth Mooney will be in the test. And she only broke her jaw 10 days ago. Iron jaw. Crazy. Very, very good. Yeah. Just quickly going back to McGrath, though, one of the things that really impressed me the most, she has got a really mean Yorker. Oh, she got a great... I love watching her bowl. She got a very menacing action. Yeah. Like, when she lands that Yorker, it is really, really tough. A couple of other things. So great to see Alana King bowl well in her first match. 28 off her four overs. A key wicket of Tammy Beaumont as well, just after she was getting settled for England. And look, thanks to a pretty drunk DRS, she was denied a second one. <laughs> Nat Siver struck on the pads, what looked to be stone dead in front, hitting in front of sort of off stump. DRS said it was hitting about a stump outside the line. It was not even close to that. Interesting. So, I didn't yeah. see that one. Oh. Yeah, it was a shocker. Okay. Another failure for Alyssa Healy, though. Seven off nine. Yeah, well, she keeps. Watch her come good in the tests or something. Oh, yeah. Or the ODIs. She'll be fine. But it's it's just interesting that real down patch for her continues pretty much through the majority of the WBBL and and now into the the internationals. As you say, she keeps, which is good. So she'll be a keeper for that. And Beth Mooney keeps and she's got a dud jaw, so she won't be keeping. So, yeah. A couple of injuries out of the recent T20s and I think one from one of the training sessions. I'm not entirely sure, but... Maya Bouchier for England. She hurt her knee. She plugged it while trying to save a four. Mm. Pretty nasty looking one. And unfortunately, she is out for the rest of the ashes. And Taylor Vlemink. Yeah, that's Aussies. a big one. That's a big one. Yeah, stress fracture in her right foot. That'll keep her out for the rest of the ashes as well. And more importantly, out She'll of the World Cup. for a while. So yeah. that's a, a really big deal. She, she is genuine, genuine pace. It does open the door massively, though, for Stella Campbell. So there's the, oh yeah, there's a lot of people waiting, a lot of girls waiting in the wings. Mm. So absolutely. So it looks like Campbell will probably come in for the test. She took seven for 25 on a grassy pitch that probably expected to be fairly similar to what the Aussies and the Poms will face on Thursday. So could be very interesting to see what happens when she comes in and she is legitimately scary fast. So in the blokes BBL, Shui, I finally started watching because it's finals time. And there are a lot of parallels between the eliminator and the qualifier, it's got to be said. And the dominator. I actually checked to see if that was the thing. (laughs) Don't check for that. But Adelaide scored 188. Perth scored 189 to both begin the innings. And neither team lost their first wicket 
till what 13th 14th over or something so both had really good opening stands and basically it was the platform for victory for both teams wasn't it yeah that's pretty much spot on really i mean this is what i've said right from the start about the scorches but not just about the scorches about everyone i mean if you're talking about adelaide for example if you let alex carey and matt short get off to the start that they did in that game you're going to be chasing your tail right from the start and yeah 145 run opening partnership at about 10 runs and over Look, the Hurricanes fought back fairly well. They did pretty well to restrict them to 188, considering where they were. But They certainly put up a better fight than the Sixers did against Perth. Well, they, they did. And and to be fair to the, the Hurricanes, I mean, they had a pretty good reply. It just came down to the 16th over. Yeah, Darcy Short and Pete Hanscom, both out in consecutive balls. Both had sort of been in for a while. Darcy Short was on 56, I think, and, and it started this collapse of seven for 44, and that was the Hurricanes gone. Yep. But yeah, certainly a slightly different storyline in the Perth game. I mean, this this storyline actually starts before the game. Yes. So Daniel Hughes in the warm-up. Now, he's not had an amazing tournament. Certainly hasn't batted up to his potential. But Oh, any- it's a big play to lose when you're bringing in a replacement player. Yeah, that's the key. Yeah. And then, of course, the Steve Smith thing. How do we feel about this? Uh, I'm okay with it. And the reason for it is basically, if you look at the letter of the law, I mean, okay, yeah, it would be amazing if he could have played. He's Just... basically the only test player who didn't come back into their BBL team, basically. Nathan Lyon played for the Sixers, for example, in that match. Yep. So... But if you're not signed before the season... And, and this is it. So the reason for it was because Smith had committed to playing in the ODIs over in New Zealand. Yep. They got cancelled, but as you said, he wasn't signed up for the BBL. Yep. So, and the, the official ruling basically was Cricket Australia introduced a local replacement player pool from which all franchises must pick any fill-in. Had Smith been placed in that pool, he would have been available to any BBL franchise. Yeah, right, yeah. Which is very, very yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, that, that would have been more controversial, I suggest. I, I think so, yeah. Steve Smith comes in at like number three for the Scorchers. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. But uh, yeah, look, he's not in the playing list for the Sixers at the start of the tournament. So, you know, it's not really that fair for him to just kind of wander in. Yes. It it's was, like at the social leagues when the ring-ins come in for the finals. Yeah, and, and yeah. bloody state players yeah, yeah, dunk yeah. on you from the free throw line. Yeah. Been but, on the wrong side of that before. Yeah, well, yeah, you and I both. Yeah, but same it, team. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> Craigie. The core. <laughs> yeah, but no, th- this is the thing. Yes, it's going to put bums on seats. Yes, it's going to have a lot more people watching on the on the telly. But fairness. it's fairness. Rules yeah, is rules. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, you, you can't really sort of say yay for one and nay for another. And there's all this talk from Moses and Reeks. Oh, they wouldn't do it for LeBron. You wouldn't do it for, you know, Lionel Messi, all these people. It's like, well, if the rules are there, yes, they fucking would. Yeah, maybe they would. Yeah. So don't, yep. yeah, don't try that shit. <laughs> it was interesting at the start to see Nathan Lyon bowling. Yeah, not unusual to try and pitch an over or two with spin in T20s these days. Stephen O'Keefe would be the way to go. He, he is the the expert in the T20s, but and turning, I don't know. Maybe they thought Lyon didn't get enough of a bowl in the last test so that they need to throw him <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Um, look, he, I mean, he bowled fairly well, but yeah, I, th- I thought Stephen O'Keefe turning it the other way might have been a better way to go. But as we've said before, you need to get early wickets against Perth. It didn't happen. Josh Inglis makes 79 or 49. Patterson makes 64 off 41. He had a little 28 off 21 from Mitch Marsh. And the Scorchers make 189. That is a big score in a final. Yeah, to defend as well. Now, Mitch Marsh, I didn't actually notice this right away because I was multitasking, but he could be in a bit of trouble. He might not make the final with a bit of an injury. Yeah, well, they stopped him from bowling. I think it was, what, tight hammy? 
Yeah, Hammy, yeah, I think mm. so, yeah. So, yeah. and look, he's got a little bit of a history of soft tissue injuries. So that was very much the reason that they kept him off the, the, the pitch. With fact- runs on the board, they were erring on the side of caution, hoping they'd make their way mm. through to the final, I'm guessing. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, when you're chasing 190, you've got to get off to a good start. Of the top seven batters, the only one with a strike rate above 62.5 was Dan Christie. Oh, it was a shit show, wasn't who it? Who made seven or four. Yeah, so absolute shit show. Th- this one, and look, no one typified that better than Moses and Reeks. Comes in at first drop, makes 17 off 30. Yeah. That, that's not even good for a 50 over match. No. So, yeah. But the, the Perth bowling attack is very, very good. You know? Oh, yeah. It's, the Dorf, Richardson, Agar. It's a good mix of different styles. Boa constrictor stuff, yep. basically. Yeah. You look at the first four overs, four, three, one, and four, and they picked up three wickets in that, in that sort of time frame. Ashton Agar comes in. What does he do? Straight away comes in, continues that, that strangulation almost. And yeah, I mean, they just bowl to their field better than other teams in the competition right now. They don't let guys get on top of them very often. They trust their plans. I think they just, they bowl well as a squad too, in, in partnership. They do. And I have to say, thank goodness for Ben Dwarshus as far as the viewing went. Yeah, I know, I know. That was a lovely knock. His highest score ever. Yeah. And the highest score ever at number nine in Big Bash history. Yep. Yeah, first guy below number five to get a 50 in this BBL as well. So, yeah, 24 off the second last over of the match. 24 ball, 50 funnily enough as well, out for 66 off 28. The only reason it wasn't a 100-run victory. So, yeah, look, a couple of issues in the Sixers batting innings. There was an issue with the camera work. Um, a couple of times the traditional camera angle wasn't used, you know, the one where you're looking straight over, over the, bowl, the bowler's yeah, arm. Yeah. And they were actually watching the bowler running in from front yeah, on. Yeah, the batsman's view. Yeah, you couldn't even see what the delivery did. So yeah, that was yeah, a yeah, weird no, one. that's crap. And speaking of crap, we saw a little bit of an interesting moment where a young fella trying to take a catch has jumped over the fence and landed on the grass, escorted away by security. He did come back later on. Yeah, it was funny, wasn't it? Yeah, it but drew so, a lot of attention from the commentary in yeah. a pretty otherwise unexciting game yeah. i think the commentators were glad to have that yeah. to talk about it's like, come on guys he's not disrupting the play he's not trying to stay on the field for any longer than a few seconds and i'm pretty sure he was underage too so you've got to give him a bit more of a benefit yeah. of the doubt than if he'd been an adult i think i think he lay down because he winded himself but i mean <laughs> yeah just have a bit of fun for god's sake so i can't remember commentators being that interested in something that wasn't in the action during a final and since that time that seagull got hit Oh, against you, oh, the Sydney Sixers. Do you know where I thought you were going? I thought you were going with, well, he's tripped on a bottle. Oh, no, well, that goes way back. Yeah, that's that's the ODIs against Sri Lanka. But, yeah, yeah Tamasina. Yeah, Bill Laurie laughing at Tamasina. That is technically part of the play as well. Yeah, but yeah. No, do you remember that seagull in yeah. that in that crazy yeah, finish? The one that the got, Brett Lee. quote, killed and then it came Yeah, and, then, yeah, and, and the crowd like cheered louder for the seagull's rebirth <laughs> than they did for the exciting match, one of the most exciting BBL finals. Stephen Seagull. So I must admit, I didn't see it, but Adelaide won again. They've booked a spot with the Sixers. Could it be yet another Perth Sixers final? Time will tell. She's Adelaide a fit form at the right they time. They have. They look pretty good in that first match. Really good contributions or starts from a lot of the players. 65 off 38 from, from Ian Cobain. And as you say, 184 on the board is a very, very good score. Yep. We didn't see this, so we can't make too many comments. But the big moment in this one comes from Usman Kawaja being given out caught by Fawad Ahmed at short third man. I saw comments that said that catch saw more grass than Bob Marley. <laughs> I'm not convinced it carried. I'm yeah, really well, there was an inter- interception in the NFL that was a bit dodgy as well, actually. That yeah. one was a lot closer to a Yeah, yeah, like, I didn't see this yeah, one. Okay, no, I might have to before it, next week. Look, the Thunder were brave. Thankfully for us, they came up short because I'm still, I'm still worried about the Thunder. <laughs> 
So we've got the strikers and the sixes in the challenger to face off for a spot in the final against Perth. Who you got? Oh, I don't know. I kind of Adelaide's form mm. and Sydney's form. I mean, Sydney were crap against, but yeah, I'll pick Adelaide in an upset. Yep. I don't think it's an upset. Well, it's it's in Sydney. Sydney were a higher seed. I still don't think it's an upset. Adelaide only finished six and eight. So they didn't even win more than they lost. Eked in in fourth seed. I'll tell you what, everyone give gives shit, including myself, gives shit to the bonus point, the uh, the bash boost, and that's the only reason they got in. Well, that's true. That's what got them over Hobart, yeah. They, yep. they took a bunch of, of bash boosts. But yeah, look, it's it's hard to go past them. As you say, they, they're in form right now. Sydney were terrible against Perth. If you go Adelaide off to a strong start with Kerry and Short and they can bat through the first eight or nine overs, they could put up a score that Sydney struggled to chase down. Oh, yeah, and then Matt Short's been bowling well too. Mm. So, yeah, no, they're... they're a sneaky team. All right, so we're both going Adelaide. Now, just quickly to round out the BBL team of the tournament. So I'm just going to quickly run you through that. So Ben McDermott, 577 runs. Josh Phillippe, 429. Joe Clark, 419. Mitch Marsh, 243 runs and five wickets. Matty Short, 487 and eight wickets. Moises Enrique's 420 runs. Then we get into the bowlers. So you've got Daniel Sams at 19 wickets. Rashid Khan at 20, Hayden Kerr, 24, Andrew Tyre, 22, and Peter Siddle, the captain, 29 wickets. Yeah, that's amazing. Pretty balanced attack too. I think Daniel Sam's batted pretty well. So in that all-rounder spot. So yeah. It has to be said. Glenn the, Maxwell. The big snub. The omission. The big show snub. And look, we have to go back to a game that we didn't really talk about that happened after we recorded last week, but before the finals. That ridiculous, ridiculous game that they played. When he caught lightning in a bottle. So an absolute dead rubber between Hobart and the Melbourne Stars. And you're sort of thinking, oh, do we even watch it? But anytime Maxwell's involved, you kind of, it's got potential. But holy shit, 154 not out of 64 balls. Oh, it's nuts. Highest score ever recorded in the BBL. Hobart tried everything. They threw eight different bowlers at him and they all went for more than 10 and over. <laughs> Some days you just see them like beach balls. Yeah. I mean, the crazy thing about it was that Marcus Stoinis made 75 yes. or 31. Clubbing him, yeah. And yep. barely even got a mention. Yep. Two for 273 off 20 overs the Stars made. Easily the highest team score ever made in the BBL, and that will stand for a long time. Just sadly not consistent enough. They finished third last on the table, so yeah. they didn't tie those kind of results together. Well, they just needed a few more bash boosts. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did see a crazy stat from Guess Who? So Swampy. Swampy. Yep. Showing what each team had made in their 100th BBL match. Maxwell made more in this match, his 100th, then the Scorchers, Renegades, Strikers, Heat, and Stars did. Stars game was rain-affected. They only made 10. <laughs> but only Hobart and the two Sydney teams scored more than him. Absolutely nuts. It sure is. So if you look at his overall body of work, two centuries, including that high score, 468 runs for the tournament, good for third behind McDermott and Short, four wickets as well, plus one of the catches of the tournament. I think you could make a case for either Enrique's making way for him or... Mitch Marsh, he only played seven out yeah, of 14 games. Yeah, yeah, I'd be happy with either of those because he's great in the field too. So, yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. think as well as Marsh, he played across his seven games. It's like giving the MVP to somebody who plays 41 games. I guess the only difference is that Marsh and Onrex obviously were in the finals. True. But, yeah, it's tough. It, it is tough. I There's mean, always good players missing out with these things. Yeah. And sure, it wouldn't be cricket without a bit of corruption. Yeah, unfortunately, a massive story coming out of Zimbabwe in the last couple of hours. Former captain Brendan Taylor stating, quote, 
I'd fallen for it. I'd willingly walked into a situation that has changed my life forever. No kidding. So he's admitted that he's taken money from match fixers who blackmailed him after video emerged of him using cocaine on a trip to India in 2019. Basically, these guys set him up. They put a big bunch of cocaine in front of him. He took the bait. They videoed it. And then the next morning, turned up at his hotel and went, uh, you want to kind of fix a couple of matches for us? Otherwise, yeah. we'll just leak this. Oh, that's terrible. He took 15000 US dollars. Says he never actually fixed any matches. Took him four months to report it to the ICC, though. Facing a lengthy ban, even though he's retired. Probably lucky to not be facing criminal charges, I mm, dare say. I dare say. All right, Stu, you know what that music means. What are you amped for? Jeez, oh, where do you even start? I, I guess I'll take the Scorchers final and the second week of the Australian Open. Come on, Ash Barty, basically anyone in the men's draw. Ferratini just got over the line in five sets against Montfees, so that's going to be quite an interesting little next round. So much stuff to talk about, though, next week, and so much great stuff coming up. What are you amped for? Oh, mate? yeah, big time. All of that, plus women's ashes. Wildcats at Hawks, and of course the NFL playoffs. So much to look forward to. So much to talk about again next week, I'm sure. Probably another massive two-hour episode. (laughs) Until then, I'm Nathan. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.